Jeff, welcome to 2019. This is our first podcast of the year, but also number 14. Wow. And yeah, we've, yeah. So, but you've, yeah, so we've done about what, seven together? No, no more than that, nine. Got it. And what's really interesting is I was looking back at the, the listener numbers just before um, I set up today and 5,000 people listened to our last podcast. Wow. Well, thank you all very much for listening. Yeah. I appreciate that. I was really surprised, actually, because I thought it'd be about 2,000, because it was 2,000 for the first few, and then it went to three, and then it went to four, and then it went to five. Nice. So anyway, we, yeah, we, we're going great guns, Jeff, and I'm, I'm pretty pleased that we... Um, awesome all. Yeah, we're doing well. Yeah. So today, I want to talk about <laughs> what could vinyl. be a controversial subject. Yeah, vinyl. I want to pick your brain, brains about it with some of the things that I've found and maybe you can shed some light on the whys and the wherefores right i'll and try then, my best you know and then you can i mean we can just i've I've just kind of got a few questions to get the conversation rolling but as we know we could take any sharp left turn at any moment and then come back so we'll just i just want to i guess what i want to start with is i want to talk about entry-level turntables and actually specifically those that come factory fitted with a cartridge yes so could you explain to listeners why that is why they come factory fitted you know i think more a couple of things um mm. a economy of scale i mean they'll usually give you a little bit of a bundle price mm. um and b i personally i think it's for first time or very early you know early adopter vinyl people i think it's easier the the toughest part of getting vinyl to sound great is getting the cartridge set up properly. So mm -hmm. if you can take it out of the box and it's ready to go, or maybe you just have to set stylus force, I think that makes it a lot easier for a first time vinyl user to, mm. you know, really get into it right away and enjoy sound without the frustration of, oh, I can't set up the cartridge or even the frustration of, I don't know which cartridge to buy. You know, at mm. least that gives you, at least that gives you a ground zero to start. I mean, as you've seen, on various Facebook forums and on the web and all of that, you know, people are just even even at a four or five hundred dollar turntable purchase, oftentimes because there's so many choices, I think a lot of new people are overwhelmed and paralyzed by that. So yeah. here's yeah. a great place to start. You know, get a project mm. with an Ortofon cartridge, you know, get a Riga P1 with a Riga cartridge, get a you know, the VPI, the why am I forgetting the name of that turntable? Um, a Cliffwood, the VPI Cliffwood, get the VPI Cliffwood with that cartridge. All of those are, are very nice places to start your journey. Mm. So I think it's kind of an easy, you know, it's like, it's like club med for vinyl, you know, it's an all inclusive vinyl vacation. <laughs> because you don't want, not necessarily artificial barriers to entry, but you don't want to put roadblocks in the way of people that are curious, um, you know, might have 500 bucks to spend. They go, right, I'm going to get that table but as you say, don't want the hassle of setup. Because I bought, um, a couple of years ago, I bought one of the entry-level, uh, the Pioneer PLX 500. So the entry-level one, not the 1000 that people rave about, but the the more basic one. It has a built-in phono stage. It had a factory-fitted cartridge. I don't know who the cartridge was made by. It was a blank face, white label thing. Um, but here's my issue with these cartridges. Yeah, they make it super easy to set up. You take the table out of the box, you put the counterweight on the back, you set the tracking force, you double check the tracking force. In my case, I get friends to double check everything because I'm just, there you go. Uh, you know, when I'm writing about things, I want to make sure that they're 
spot on. And then uh, this year I bought um, a Riga Planar 2. So not the Planar 1, the 2. Okay. Which also comes with a factory fitted cartridge. Super easy to set up. Loved it. Love the look of it. It's that high gloss red. Looks fantastic. But, and here's the but. The, the sound quality, Jeff, it ain't all that. It really isn't. It just sounds a bit mushy and a bit congealed and a bit rolled off in the top. And I know this is me saying this is going to upset some people. And it did when I put this on YouTube. And I got a lot of what basically the gen, generally people's reactions are this, right? Your cartridge is set up wrong. The cartridge is bad. You t you didn't level the table. You're, you're listening to the wrong records. Can you believe that? You're listening uh -huh. to the wrong records, mm. right? You didn't clean your records using the wrong fluid. You've got the wrong turntable. Anything other than... Well, actually, this turntable might not sound as good as, say, an entry-level streamer, which is where, obviously, I come from in this world, right? I've sort of... Bingo. You, you, just, you just hit the nail on the head, okay? Mm. What's, what has happened, for I think, to a lot of people? Mm. Think of where... I mean, and again, the people at Riga are friends of mine. I, mm. I, I've owned Riga tables for almost as long as you've been walking the earth. But... Riga has always been a very most not just Riga every turntable has been mm -hmm. a very evolutionary product but mm -hmm. streaming and DAX have really grown by leaps and bounds in the yes. especially the last 5 years I mean mm -hmm. look at what you can get in a DAC for say 5 or 600 dollars today mm -hmm. as opposed to say 5 6 years ago Yes, and yes. when you look at what you can get in a turntable for five or six hundred dollars today versus five or six years ago, you know, it's not that much better. And and so the you know, getting the the analog experience, so to speak, where you go, wow, that sounds way better than digital, or that's way more musically engaging than digital. Mm. 30 years ago when digital was crap. You know, it was easy to get, say, back then, you got a Riga P3 for, you know, seven or $800, put a $300 cartridge, and that that blew away, a, you know, a $1,000 DAC. Not so much anymore, especially now that, you know, Tidal will let you stream MQA, Cobas will let you stream 24192. Mm -hmm. ah, you know, I mean, now the entry, I, I really think, I know this may be unpopular, but I think the entry level for getting the AHA vinyl experience is a little bit higher now. Well, I would say it was a lot higher from my experience because yes. I'm not I'm not singling Rager out on this one because I had the same. Oh no, all of them, with... all of the all like, of the yes. five to five hundred to thousand yes. dollar turntables. I well, mean, so I had the, I had the same results with the Project Debut Carbon back in Australia a few years ago. So yes. I just you know I listened to it and go, ah, it's okay. And for the whole experience, I'm just the whole experience is still there. Obviously, like the, the physicality. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that as a given. I'm just talking about sound quality here. But because I've had this experience on and off the last few years, what I did this year at the very start of this year was something quite interesting is I've got one of those new wave phono converters from PS Audio. Oh, and okay. It's, it's got an ADC inside so I can digitize stuff, right? right? So the first, what I did first of all is I, I digitized two different pressings of David Bowie's Low. So the 70s, some 70s pressing from Italy and then the 2016 remaster from a couple of years ago. And I put those files up on the net and asked people to vote on them. And people voted, uh, I think the, yeah, the preference was for the 2016 remaster. But, um, but I can see why other people voted for the, the late 70s pressing. 
Yeah, this, but anyway, the point is you could you could definitely hear the differences in the pressings even once digitized. So like I would, I created a couple of 2496 files. People downloaded them, voted in a poll. The most popular was the 2016 version. But the, really, I, the reason I did that was not to find out necessarily what preferences were. Was to, it was more to show that the ADC-DAC chain does not um, erase differences in sources, right? So, not as much as you'd think. Really, right. not as much as you'd really. Think. I mean, it's. I, I find this this notion that an ADC and then a DAC is not transparent is a bit archaic. But I'll come back to that again anyway. What I'm trying to get to is here is the second experiment I did is I got uh, what did I get? David Burns American Utopia, the album he put out last year. I ripped that with the Rega Planar two, but I also used the the analog line level analog inputs on the back of the PS audio to create a second rip, but I didn't use a turntable this time. I used the blue sound node two streamer. I streamed the out this burn album 2496 MQA from Tidal, and I encoded that to 2496, right? So you've got a vinyl rip and a digital rip ADC to put those up on the net for people to vote. And most people preferred the 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 tidal stream by about two to one. Some people couldn't hear a difference. I'm not saying that there's a conclusive difference, but what I'm saying is is that it people it, it was clear that there wasn't the wow from the vinyl rip. Exactly, it, it was of, not of, an out yeah. and out winner by any. And stretch. I mean, dude, you know how much I love vinyl. You know how much I love analog. But the five hundred to thousand dollar analog setup doesn't blow you away like it used to. Where you'd sit down, you know, you'd, I mean, five, six, eight, nine years ago, you'd have a six or eight thousand dollar DAC sitting on the rack and you'd mm. have a Riga P3 with a decent cartridge and put the tone arm down or, or again, or a, a VPI, a small VPI, any, any thousand dollar turntable. And mm. you could go, wow, that's more organic. That sounds more real. Yeah. Oh, I get it. And, you know, it's, it's not there anymore. And that no. doesn't mean you shouldn't have vinyl. That doesn't mean you shouldn't love, um, you know, vinyl, any of that. It's right. just, it's more, to me, it's become more of a different than a demonstrably better. Absolutely agree with that. Absolutely 100%. Because I'm, you know, I'm sitting in a room here and I'm surrounded by vinyl. I, I love it. Me too. I don't, in the, the entry level, I don't think it sounds, it doesn't blow me away. And I know this is going to upset a lot of people because they, they I think their thinking is stuck in the past, as is pretty much what you're alluding to here, is that things have evolved. And I'm trying to bring thinking up to date with my experience here. But I wanted to ask you a question regarding this, right? Because I think the weakest link in these entry level tables is not the tables themselves, but those factory fitted cartridges that Riga, Project, Pioneer choose to put on their tables. Well, again, it's a it's a starting point. So, mm. you know, I mean, again, either that project or that Riga P2 are, are what do they fit? What do they fit a P2 with these? It's like an exact uh, or something. It's, no, it's a carbon. It's cheap. Okay. It's yeah. like, it's a super cheap car. Yeah. I mean, you can take a P2 and put a nice, you know, two, three, maybe even $400 cartridge on that table. Mm. And you'll hear a pretty substantial jump in performance. Right. You know, it's much past that. It's not really worth it. But, you know, mm. there's a few cartridges in that, let's say, 399 range. Mm. But again, I think for the average person starting out, that might be a little more than they want to, you know, get right. their hands on. So this, I guess this is, I mean, I wrote this a couple of years ago 
and it was very unpopular. But I basically said that the entry level experience is because the the mainstream press and also the hi fi press endlessly raves about vinyl. No one says a bad word about it. Nobody. It's like a sacred cow, right? So people read this and they go, well, I want a piece of that. They go and buy an entry level turntable. I think they will be disappointed by the sound quality, as I have been. Well, you know, I think if you've been streaming a lot of stuff lately, I, mm. I think you'll kind of wonder where's the magic I've been reading about. Yes, and, that's exactly and, it. Well, yes. and 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 what happens too, I think, is a lot of us, a lot of us, some of us. I mean, even in the press, mm. I mean, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to really, really high end tables, and it's it's easy to get spoiled, and it's it's easy yes. to kind of, and and not even the tables. Another thing that makes a huge difference in the vinyl experience. I mean, you've seen a lot of these, you know, these colored records that have come out and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they sound like shit. They're terrible. Some, some of them do. I've got some yeah. that sound okay, but I know what yeah, you mean. But I mean, I mean, I yeah, bought a bunch of them because they make a nice prop when you're shooting a turntable. Yeah. But, you know, but you take that and if you've, have you spent any time with anybody that's really a maniacal record collector that's got all these, you know, first stamper British, you know, first no i don't i just don't have friends like that jeff i just don't see and that's the thing i mean the difference the difference (laughs) between a normal record and those records Mm -hmm. is really that's a pretty amazing jump but nobody can buy those records anymore i mean a lot of those records i mean really who's gonna pay six hundred dollars for a copy of john barleycorn must die you know i'm not and but yet when you do hear it it's pretty compelling so you vinyl has two things going against it right now Mm. um the software is getting progressively worse and the the new digital is getting so much better yes you know i mean a lot of these a lot of these remasters you know some of these cheesy remasters and i'm not talking about like the mofi stuff or the music matters or some of those or what Mm. you know the stuff that chad's doing you know where it's all sourced from analog or Mm. master tape if possible but these guys that are just doing some down and dirty pressings to kind of catch in you know cash in on the on the vinyl i mean for example have you ever heard anything by friday music no those are the worst pressings I've ever heard. Right. You know, and they're still charging, you know, 30, 40, 50 dollars a piece for those. Yeah. And and at that point, I mean, that's two months worth of that's a month worth of rune and cobas. Right. I mean, this is the thing that I was saying at the start is that when I say what I have said on YouTube that you know, I love vinyl, but not for the sound. People go, you're listening to the wrong records. You have to listen to stuff pressed in the 70s and 80s. And my my riposte to that is, well, you, can you please tell me where I buy Arcade Fire? Exactly. Um, Fold. Exactly. Boards of Canada pressed prior to 1990. You can't because they weren't made until 10 or 20 years ago. Right. So, exactly. I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, music, you know, 80s, 90s, noughties and now. So I'm buying records in the here and now. I want these to sound good. You can't tell me, oh, your vinyl experience is crap because basically you're saying is because I'm my taste in music is wrong. <laughs> that's what you're really saying. Well, that's what they which, are telling you. <laughs> which is, yeah, it is. But it's, I've been, dude, I've been getting this for years. I get you. I, I feel the love, you know. But it's, it's, but, uh, but it's just this endless apology. Uh, or, well, no, it's not an apology. It's, it's excusing the actual turntable itself. When I actually, you know, I think the Riga Carbon cartridge is there to get you up and running but if you are interested in sound quality 
get rid of it as quickly as possible and get something better, as you've suggested. I know that may be not what you want to hear when you're buying, you know, because for a lot of people, 500 bucks on a turntable is a lot of cash, a lot of cash. I'm not ever going to downplay that. But if you're told then you have to buy, I don't know, like, I mean, this, I guess this is the question I wanted to get to you, get to really, Jeff, is that which matters more, the table or the cart? Uh, it's the whole thing. It's the yeah. system. It's always the system because mm. I, mm. I, I mean, highly biased personal opinion, but mm. I look at the turntable cartridge and phono stage as an integrated system. And they all have, I mean, you've all, you've all seen the guys who put, you know, a $3,000 cartridge on a $600 turntable and think they're awesome. Well, mm. at a certain point, each one of these three things in the system has a has a finite amount of resolution so mm. if you buy a, a a a very highly resolving turntable and an inexpensive cartridge you're throwing resolution away if you if you if you what i have done when i've gone back and forth for example i mm. put i had a pair of riga p3s here and i put uh a $5,000 Dynavector XV1T on mm. on a on a Riga P3 yeah and on an SME20 okay then i took a $95 sure 97 and put it on you know put it on the Riga put it on the expensive table i have to tell you the the if you had to go one way or the other the cheap cartridge on the really good table will resolve more information than the expensive cartridge on the inexpensive turntable. But if if you can look at it as a system so mm. that you're not throwing resolution away at any point, to me that, and then of course, if you can set it up as best you can. Yeah. Because since I've been playing around for the last year with, with Richard Mack's Analog Magic, you know, there's there's a lot of, I guess, not to be repetitive, but the magic really is in that last 20%. Sure. And, and so it just depends on how fiddly you want to get to. Mm. I mean, you might be surprised that even that budget table can be optimized better than it came out of the box. But yeah. at a certain point, there is only so much resolution that table is going to deliver. Sure. I mean, everything has a glass ceiling. And sure, I've also done that experiment with cheap carts on expensive tables and vice versa. Actually, I got the, I got the better result out of the cheap car on the ex sorry, the better result of the expensive car on the cheap table than the other way around. Well, so interesting, you there know, you like go. I'm looking at my Technics SL 1200G here at the moment, and it's got a 200 euro cart on it. It's got a Naga, Naga Oka MP 110, which some readers suggested I try out. It's nice. It's okay. You know, it's 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 fine, but it's not amazing. It's not, again, it's not blowing me away. And so I, I really need to get an expensive, well, a more luxurious cartridge for this table. If I'm going to do it justice, if I'm going to really kind of make the most of that table, otherwise I might, I might as well have the new, you know, thousand dollar SL 1200 that just got announced at CES this year. Do you see what I, I mean? See. Like a, yeah. what I'm trying to get here is if you've got four grand to spend on a turntable setup, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe now that I should spend you know, two grand on the table, two grand on the cart. That's what I would do. Give or take. Um, you know what? Yeah. Check out the new, um, do you have access to the new Hannah that just came out? The one that's above the SE? 
No, I, I, well, I could probably get one via Australia. Yes. So get yeah, that. indirectly. Yeah. Check. Right. I would suggest you check that out. That okay. the, here in the US they're about I think they're about 1300. That's the new that, one, is it? What, that's is it? the new one. Okay. That is a pretty spectacular, you know, amount of performance for the dollar. Okay. That um yeah, I think it's uh I think that's a new, hmm. you know, that's a new benchmark for that kind of investment. Right. So Yeah, okay. I mean and I think I'm going to put this Nagaoka on my planar too, if I keep it. Like, I mean, I don't know. What there I'm you go. So, I mean, but I think, you know, that's, well, it was 200 euros. Oh, no, it's it's about, sorry, it's about $200. So that fits on a, what, a $400 table, $500 table. That's a, that's a good, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that, again, those factory fitted cartridges, the basic ones, really don't do justice to even an entry level table. When I say entry level, I mean, three, four, five hundred. Sure. Well, again, you know, it's it really is just a place to start. Yeah, you know? it is. So. Yeah. But I'm just I guess what I'm trying to get. Yeah. Well, I've made my point. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You it, have. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. agree with you more. Now, the other thing that I hear is, you know, when people say, oh, yeah, because you have to get those 70s and 80s records because the dynamic range is greater, which is, you know, it's I'm not would never dispute that. But people say, well, like, you know, John, if you digitize your records and, you know, put them up on the net for us to vote on, you're removing some of the magic of analog slash vinyl. You're removing a little bit of it. Right, you definitely are removing Maybe, a little bit. You know, like a but not minutes. enough that you can't make, like you said before, not enough that you can't tell the difference. But also, there's another point to be made here is that, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, because you'll know better than I, most records that oppressed today and i'm on about the music that you and i like yes like rock and roll and electronic music yes. most yes. modern releases are pressed from digital masters yes absolutely without a doubt i mean even that even the last bowie box set the beatles box sets so it's not even just the obscure indie rock that i like or whatever i'm talking about craft box set pressed from a digital master i'm almost certain of this because you know when they've been pressed from an analog master because the record company makes an enormous song and dance about it right they go, yes yes you know so i i bought um i bought matthew sweet's girlfriend and altered beast from shane at intervention records i've been month. trying to get my hands on that so how is it it's great it sounds fantastic okay but you know it cost me an arm and a leg to get it to germany because and i will share this with you actually because this is quite interesting for people that live in the usa and don't realize how lucky they have it sometimes is that okay so these records are like I want to say 30 bucks each. So that's, you know, it's middle of the road for a record. Some people would say that's expensive. So the both of them was like 60 bucks. Shipping was another 40 bucks to Germany. Then nice. when they arrive in Germany, the German customs write me a letter saying to process this, we are going to charge you 50 bucks. Wow. And then we get this. But then when it arrives at my door, I have to pay duty as well. Another <gasps> 40 bucks. So, so these... It's like $150 to get these two records to me. I mean, luckily, as you know, I'm a massive Matthew Sweet fan. Me too. As you are. So it's worth it, but only just, God damn it. It was like, it really, it really burnt. It took the shine off the purchase because they're great records. But, you know, I'm spending $150. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Extra, you know, extra little bit, which I know is the audiophile disease, but. Well, but on the, on the same, on the same note, you could have Mm. spent, um, you know, I mean, Lynn Stanley wants $125 for a record now. So, you know. I'm, I'm never going to knock her as a, you know, the 
the mute well the music she makes or the you know how she no i just mean the cost of the recording that's all i'm not making any value judgments on lynn stanley i'm just saying it's not my taste when she's asking for 125 dollars for one record you know well i I think that may be because she knows her audience is you know is is made up of predominantly audiophiles and she knows they'll be quite happily part with that amount of cash so that's business i guess I guess. And I'm not I'm not for a moment suggesting that Shane intervention is doing anything like that. Oh no, I'm just saying that I'm saying Matthew Sweet for forty bucks is a real value, you know. I mean it's Plus it's a it's a far more um exhilarating experience to listen to. God, I love I mean, Alter Beast is fantastic. Both of those records. Yeah, are... they're both great. I mean, anyway, yes. so but these are rare beasts in the in the vinyl world. I mean I think Shane went back to the analog tapes or he got it. He's done an excellent job on everything he's produced, you know, whether or not you agree with the title choices, the, the level of um, excellence, the the sound quality is phenomenal. I agree. And I I think he's, you know, he's put a lot of care and love into these and he makes a big deal that they are sourced from the analog masters, but most of most records I buy are no, no way are they sourced from analog masters. They're digital. So when people talk about, the purity of analog, the magic of vinyl. I mean, I just have to roll my eyes harder than Angela Merkel because <laughs> no, I have to, because it's just, no, like I, I, there, there is no analog magic anymore because it was erased before it even reached the cutting head. If you believe yeah. in such a thing, you know? So I'm just trying, yeah, I'm just trying to get real with vinyl here. I mean, I do, I do want to kind of pick your brains about higher end rigs in a moment, but I think, I know that it may sound like I'm starting on a bit of a Debbie Downer, but I'm not. I'm really just trying to, you know, reset expectations is that entry-level tables are often limited by the the basic carts that come factory fitted. And that yes. most records that are released that are in stores are pressed from digital masters, it's often high res. I don't know whether some are like 1644, I've no idea. Um, that doesn't take any of any of the the allure away from me i still go and buy records i don't pick it up and go oh this is pressed from a digital master i'm not buying that i go there's a cool album future sound of london's life forms reissue yeah i'll definitely buy that because i love that record there you go it's an emotional purchase if anything else you know like i don't let my brain override that but anyway so how how do people you know where is this i know we've touched on this briefly before but where do where does the sort of crossover begin where people would really experience an like an hallelujah moment when they drop the needle. I mean, what well, sort of money are they we talking about here, Jeff? I know it's a tricky <laughs> question. It's a it's a loaded gun, isn't it? I've just given you. <laughs> well, I think I think it depends. I think it, it there's there's so many variables, and this mm. is what makes it hard for so many people because what I'm always seeing on the web and on Facebook and social media, blah blah blah, everyone's looking for a hard and fast rule. Yes. Okay, and. The, the toughest part of putting a hard and fast rule on this is A, how good is your hearing? Mm. B, how good is your software? C, how good is your system? D, how good is your room? Um, and, you know, then I guess subsets of that would be E, what's your budget? Mm. Um, and, you know, how much time do you actually spend? How much do you love music? And I don't mm. mean that in a, you're not awesome because you don't love music as much as we do. It's just more of a, how much do you love music in the sense of how much time do you have to devote to music? Right. So, you know, if you're listening to music 
more passively or say, say you've only got 45 minutes in a day or in a week or whatever, mm. a couple hours on a weekend to really sit and listen to music with your, you know, you're in the couch between the speakers. Mm. Um, the more it's kind of like the more you listen, the more experience you get, then you go to that part of the decision tree. Do I need more of this? Yes, no. And that's, mm. that's, I think that's what determines that. I mean, for me, the hallelujah moment is probably 10, 20K for a digital for, or for an analog front end. You that know, sounds that's, about right. Yeah. That's, that's where to me, it starts to get really, really magic. And again, right. you know, there are a few tables I've used, you know, um, my old Riga P9 was a fantastic table and it mm. wasn't crazy money. Um, the original VPI classic one, um, you know, uh, earlier Oracle Delphi's, um, you know, the original, the original, uh, the Avid, the, the, the Volver. I mean, those mm. are all SME 10, you know, those are all tables that are, well, they're in that three to $6,000 range, but then you put a two or $3,000 cartridge, right. you know, bam, gotcha. there you are. Yeah. You're at 10 K. Those are the tables that really, and then you still need a photo stage. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, so it, it's, it's such a, you know, but again, if you're sitting there, let's say you're listening to a Marantz 2270 receiver and mm. a pair of old JBLs. Yeah. You know, at that point, you know, it, it might only be $1,200 or $1,500 to get an epiphany and go, wow, that's, that's really grabbing me. That's really moving me. So mm. it's, it's hard to say, you know, and again, the, the best example, I mean, you know, I'm always the car guy. It's, one time when I was talking to Jerry Seinfeld, I asked him how he wrapped his brain around really expensive cars, just like how some of us wrap our brains around really expensive hi-fi. And I said, you know, how do you drive a, you know, a car like that? And he said, well, he said, if I can, if I can walk away from it, if a piano from Toontown falls on it, then it's okay. Well, for him, that number's probably a million dollars. For me, that number's probably $15,000. So you know, that's, that's going to be, that's just going to be a moving target for almost everyone. I mean, it just depends on how, how crazy, how much it bites you. You know, I mean, if it, if analog really bites you, you'll probably divert funds, whatever your income level is to have more analog. I think you've hit on a brilliant point there with regards to the Toontown piano is that, and I really, actually, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot recently is that, you know, in some ways, I would not recommend people spend any more money on a hi-fi than they can afford to literally just walk away from it. You know, because, and I say this because there are so many other things to do in life and especially traveling, especially traveling, that, you know, hi-fi is wonderful and if you're really into it, but don't ever overstretch yourself to the point where your finances are, you know, uh, you know, they're a risk of ruining your life or removing other opportunities <laughs> from your life. You know, you have sure. to lead, lead a balanced life and don't chuck everything into your hi-fi, run, run up a massive credit card debt. I mean, one of, I was editing a piece of um, work today and somebody had used the words investments in with respect to hi-fi. It's not an investment. I mean, no, very few, no, 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 yeah, no, it, it's no, a no. depreciating asset. No, right? so, and unless, unless you bought, a lot of 60s and 70s right. Macintosh in the 90s. Yeah. It's not an investment. Right. It's just not. You have to, you know what? Hi fi to me, hi fi is like art. Okay. You yeah. should buy art because you love it, not right. because you're. 
But that's me. That's my highly biased but also, personal Yeah, opinion. but also, so you can afford it. I mean, you can't, I mean, I would never go out to an, uh, an art auction and, and spend 50 grand on a painting and hang it on the wall. A, because I don't probably wouldn't love it that much, but B, because I can't afford that. Well, I, you know, I could whack it all on credit cards and I could technically afford it, but not really. I mean, what, what then would happen to the rest of my life? I would be paying that debt off for, for years and I wouldn't be able to afford to do anything else. So I think, you know, the, what you're saying about, you know, reaching up, you know, spending your money according to what know, makes what sense want. for you. Yeah, what you I mean, what with. makes sense for you? Because I mean, I've yeah. met people with hi-fi, with cars, with cameras, where they've said, you know, the, the, the difference that to me might be really minute to them is life or death. Mm. You know, here's another interesting point on the turntable thing. Mm -hmm. um, do you, do you, or does anyone, you know, have perfect pitch? No, I certainly See, don't. I don't um, either. I don't know anybody but, who does. No. But I've met a couple of musicians mm. that have perfect pitch. Bob Stewart at Meridian has perfect pitch. Huh. You know, and he has said that, you know, analog's always kind of driven him nuts because he can hear the speed variation. Really? So that might be another analog versus digital kind of thing because it might you might need to go further up on the food chain to get a better right you know drive system so yeah. you're not hearing that i mean me i can't hear it i really can't hear it i so, can't either no i mean I, i've heard yeah. obviously heard in a groove distortion and for people who don't know yes. that is, that's where the groove gets towards the middle of the record right so it's the last song on on the side right or right, the, right right and i didn't know this for years and i always wondered why that last song was usually the slowest song on the album it's because they wanted to put the, the least dynamically active song in that place because it was most susceptible to um yeah, distortion exactly. right which yes. I, I thought was interesting because that's how the medium has influenced the the way the record is made i thought it was fascinating but i've heard in a group distortion before um it's not pleasant and if you get it and it's, it's it can drive you crazy trying to get rid of it I don't have it on the Riga. I don't have it on my Technics, but that's a, another thing to watch out for. You know, like when the record gets to the end of the side, you have to listen for that. I guess anybody could hear that, right? You could, I mean, you. Oh yeah, you can, you can, you can. No, no, yeah. you can definitely. I mean, you can definitely hear that. There's a, you know, I've got a few Joni Mitchell albums that always have that real. If 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 everything isn't set up just perfectly, you'll hear that. Right, crackle and crunch, and yeah, it's you know, a crunching so sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of a for me when I'm setting something up. Mm. That's kind of a go-to to make sure I've got it nailed. Is you know, right? Make sure. So, so but, what about, you know, what, what about this though? Okay, so last year, um, I, I think it's EMI. I, I forget me. If, forgive me if I'm wrong about the label. The Brian Eno '70s albums were issued. They went through there. They were um, they were half speed remastered at Abbey Road. They sound wonderful. You mean but... all the music for airport stuff, or uh, no, the earlier stuff? Um, no, I'm talking about before and after science. Here come the warm jets. Oh um, wow, I yeah. forgot about that. Oh, these, these uh -oh. are awesome records. Uh oh, right? I love those. Records. No, they're great. But and but what really drove me crazy when they were announced and when they were first released is there were double forty five RPM issues, right? Presses. So you might go, well, well, John, what's your what's your beef here with that? How could you possibly be upset by yeah, that? Yeah, because you're young and you can still get up and turn the record over. <laughs> yeah. I it drives me insane. I hate it. I can't stand like it. But also, it's not how I originally experienced those albums. You know, I'm not changing the record over in the middle of side one as these 45 RPM issues asked me to do. I mean, generally, it's accepted that 45 RPM, all other things being equal, will sound better, right? 
you, you can get more dynamics out of them. Is this right? I don't know. The, well, again, I've heard conflicting things on that. And I've mm. talked to a few people. Yeah. I mean, a few engineers about that. Mm. Um, in theory, you know, you're getting you're getting a little more. It's like the tape moving faster. Right. Right. What, OK. Yes. Right. Yeah. But what but what I've what, what I've thought mm. was always like, for example, when you get, you know, those those from the 80s and stuff, those those 12 inch maxi singles where even if they're not 45 RPM, mm. they expand it so that, you know, all they're cutting a hotter groove because they're making yes. one one side of the record, one track. Yes. Um, I think, again, just my highly biased opinion, I think everything done equally mm. and to an equal high standard the 45 does have does have you know the potential for more what i've always been curious about though because the record is spinning faster mm. does that affect the ability of the cartridge to track the groove oh i hadn't even got that far <laughs> see i know that's there well, you go. So, yeah, well, I come at come at it from an artistic perspective, right? Because you know, we, the the phrase that drives me crazy, and we hear it a lot, is "as the artist intended." Now, when Brian Eno made "Before and After Science," he put like what was it six songs per side? He never envisaged like it being a it being a double album or two LP set, cut at forty five, no. where it's like two two well sorry three songs per side which is crazy because it's only like eight or nine minutes and you're up and you have to turn it over it is not as the artist intended it's certainly not true to the original experience either so but they so i have to um finish this little bit by explaining that once those that run of 45 rpm issues had sold out um emi universal whoever it was then did a run of 33 RPMs as well. I did buy one as both, but I haven't opened them yet. So maybe that's another experiment I can bung up there with final rips, you know? But I think it's interesting that the pursuit of sound quality can sometimes erode the artistic nature of records. Do you see what I mean? Like it's- Exactly. And you know what? Here's my, here's my take on that. Mm. If I've learned one thing in all the years I've done this, mm everybody gets their joy from a different aspect of this right i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna stick my neck out and assume that you and i are both of the mind that if we had to choose between an outstanding piece of music that was only on an okay recording and a flawlessly recording recorded but boring record you'd take the cool music as absolutely. would i yes right yeah. exactly yeah. so but not everyone's like that some people no. You know, some of these hi-fi people, some people want the first one. Some people want the exclusive mm. one. Some people are listening for that one, you know, that one triangle chime that's a minute 13 into the track. And if that, if that reproduces perfect, you know, then it's all good for them. You know, some people want bass, some people want imaging, you know. So I think that's the problem that we face with all of this stuff, you know, mm. and trying to review it is that. You know, we're not speaking to the same audience. There's there's almost too many variables, you know. Sure. And so you just do the best you can. I mean, I'm I'm I'll always I'll always take pretty good fidelity and excellent music over excellent fidelity and eh, music. So, yeah, I mean, it's always good to have it. I mean, I, I just don't want the fidelity eroding the artistic experience. I guess that's what I'm saying. Agree. Agree. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like I don't. Like the the Matthew Sweet reissue that Shane did, so it's Intervention Records is is the label. Um, it, it you know 
it's actually pressed. So the original album came out as a single LP. Even subsequent reissues of Altered Beast came out as a single LP. But this one is a double. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, God. You know, he split it. It's like it's split across two LPs. But what he did was very clever. So it's across three sides, the the main album, and the fourth side is dedicated to bonus tracks. And the same with um, Girlfriend, because that now has the extra tracks restored that were on the CD that weren't on the LP originally. So, you know, you can get, you know, reissues that do in in some ways like that enhance the experience, but some like the Brian Eno's that threaten to take it away. You know, it drives me crazy, like when an album originally came out as a single LP and then it comes out as a reissue as a double. I don't know why. Why, why is that, Jeff? Why do they suddenly decide this needs to be a double? Is it because tables can't, I mean, tables are better now. They should be better at tracking these things, right? Oh, I, you know, I'm always, I think part of it too is just because that's trendy. You right. Know? That, that makes it more audiophile E if it's mm. on, I mean, perfect example. I, were you ever much of a Johnny Winter fan? No, not at all. Sorry. I know who he okay. is. Okay. Years ago, he did a real classic blues record called Second Winner. Mm. And on the and on the inside, and I'm talking about the artistic vision. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this right now. He mm. said, he said the original plan was to cut as much material as possible and pick the best to make a regular one album record. But after we finished, we found out that it might lose volume if only one record were used. Mm. Since it was very important to us that our album be as loud as technically probable as technically possible, mm. we had a problem. So they did three sides. So he said we couldn't give you more, we couldn't give you less. So here's what we did. <laughs> and there's three there's that's three great. sides. Yeah. One re- one side of the record's blank, you know, and that's what the artist intended. Right. You know, so I think um, Julian Cope did something similar with Jehovah Kill in the early nineties. The fourth side was etched. So if yeah, if it takes three sides, take three sides. But I guess like for example, Ragged Glory by Neil Young, amazing record. Sixty minutes of music. Or actually, no, Harvest Moon was the same. Both right, they, right. They came out as single LPs. Harvest Moon was reissued as a double, which uh, it irks me a little bit. And I know I'm being picky here. Ragged Glory is coming out again this year. Can't wait for that. But I think that'll be more sides because there's more material. But it's when it's like an originally a single. Why do they have to? I mean, yes, you've asked the question. Like it's because it's trendy. Here's a question for you. Right, this is something that I think a lot of people want to know. What's the deal with 180 gram? In terms of into well the one eighty gram records why why do labels make a big fuss about oh I'll reissue on one eighty gram vinyl it's thicker it's fatter I mean my experience with one eighty gram vinyl is it's more likely to warp in transit than normal vinyl interesting yeah um, well you know this is a question really that I would defer to the people at somebody like Mobile Fidelity right. or whatever because I've never heard. Um, I've never heard a definitive answer why mm. they do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, that one, that one, I'm, I'm at a loss because Me too. it's, it's always been, there have been some records you've heard on traditional 140 gram pressings that sound amazing. Mm. And there's some on 180 that, I mean, and MoFi for a while did those 200 gram UHQRs. Right. But you know, so if, if the record is fatter, doesn't that, you know, especially if you're very, um, very fussy about your VTA, doesn't it mess with your uh-huh. VTA? Right. Yeah. So, right. So you either, you either optimize for one yeah. and let other things fall by the wayside. Right. Or you set a, a middle point and everything's not quite as 
as good as it could be. Right. So there's not even a standard for vinyl thickness. And record labels are busy trying to get us to believe that 180 is best because it's a, a selling point, I guess it's a differentiator. I mean, I'm never, I'm never going to knock them for that because that's business, but I'm just wondering what's in it for us. And if we can't explain it to ourselves, then what does, you know, the kind of average person buying records have any hope of like, demystifying why 180 is good? Well, again, this is a question that I would really, really ask, you know, either the MoFi guys yeah. or somebody at Chad's. Ask somebody that actually, you know, ask a mastering engineer. Okay. They would give you a better, a much more comprehensive answer than I could. Right, right. I mean, I, I don't want to be, I guess I'm, I'm very conscious of being a negative Nancy about vinyl when I'm really not. It's just that I think there is a, a layer of, and there's no way other way of putting it. There's a layer of bullshit to it, which I think needs pulling back. Um, or scraping up or whatever you do with bullshit and shoveling away, you know, <laughs> because I... yeah, here in America, you pick it up and put it in a bag when it comes <laughs> out of your dog's butt. If you're, if you're polite, right. You know, but so, um, do you know what I mean? Well, I think this, I mean, no, I, I agree. And I, and I think if you look, there's a lot of people that I've talked to mm. that have said, well, you know, I went and bought that turntable and I got some vinyl and, and it just wasn't that awesome. Mm. And, so I think, again, if like we were discussing earlier, if you don't get that aha moment, mm. chances are it'll get put to the back of the queue. You know, you'll you'll it will either engage you enough to pull you in further or it will not. So I just I, just, I guess I don't want to kind of solicit a crabby conversation because this kind of topic tends to pull those people out. Well, not even out of the woodwork. They're just waiting. The way they're spoiling for a fight. I think I, I can I can empathize well with them. Right. Because. You got the guys that generally engage in this conversation are fifty plus dudes, and they have been buying vinyl for thirty or forty years. So for them to hear that digital has caught up or has even surpassed in many respects, or certainly the entry level, is is not what they want to hear because they've spent tens of thousands of dollars on records on the on the software, um, which is also you know, because now it's streaming music is effectively free. I mean, 10 euros a month is free, right, right. Right. So to see that come up, we know when you've been plowing your income over the years into a format that is not, if not surpassed is now equaled. That's a tough thing to see. And so you're going to like in, in motion, you're going to defend that to the death. Like, no, final is better. No, it absolutely is better. Even though my experience says that's not always the case, and it sounds like your experience is not always the case, because we are no, it isn't. We are pragmatists. Isn't. We are absolute pragmatists in this field, Jeff, and that's why I like that's why I like talking to you, is because Same we here. don't have this well, idealistic view of the world that everything is black and white, and this is bad, and this is good. You know, so no, it's. I mean, when the. I mean, tell me if you agree. Mm. I mean, when when the when everything on the vinyl end has been done right and mm. done with care, and it's good source material. And the planets line up, and and again, I'm listening to a DCS Vivaldi. That's about as good as digital gets. Yeah. Okay, and it's spectacular. But there still are those moments yeah. where the really really good record gives you just a little bit more. But but it's just that know, record, though, isn't it? It's just right, that it's, one record. Whereas that Vivaldi right. gives you that that greatness with. I would think, you know, I won't say all music, but a larger proportion of music. So in terms of... And I mean, and even at a much lower level. I mean, right. in, the, in the house, I'm listening to the the Sim Audio 390 that's got a DAC built in. Right. 
and and it's got a mm phono stage built in yeah and you know i'm i'm using that little um that uh two thousand dollar or the sixteen hundred dollar sl 1200 you know the the lesser one the gr you know and at that point gosh you know that that sim is that that deck that's probably maybe a you know, thousand dollar deck in there, and it's pretty damn tough to beat. Right. And wh- what I found here's the thing too, and maybe you've mm. had this experience, maybe a number of our listeners have too. What I found is that streaming hasn't made me buy less vinyl. What streaming's made me done is buy vinyl that I strictly vinyl that I love. Yes, I guess it makes you more selective. Uh, yeah, yeah, because you can live. I like to live with a piece of music for a little while before I make that commitment. Mm. And, you know, here's the thing that I always say to guys from my generation that makes them really angry. I say, OK, that's awesome. You have 12,000 records. Mm. You have 12,000 albums on vinyl, but 10,000 of them suck. Right. Because back when we were in college, you know, you heard that one great song on the radio. You bought the album and you found out the rest of the record sucked. So you didn't get rid of the record. Mm. And, you know, how many of those 12,000 LPs that you have are keepers? Mm. See, I, you d- know? I don't subscribe to this. I don't buy albums if, if I think, if I just like one song, I buy a band. I have to like But you the, have the that album. option now. Yeah. Okay. We don't have that. You we When, when, when I was 20, you mm. didn't have that option. I mean, the right. best you could do was go to a friend's house and, and make a cassette tape of it and live with it for a while. Right. But, you know, I mean, so... It's it's almost like this is this is what so many people this is this is the thing that dismays me so much about our world and our industry. Just because you have a big vinyl collection or you have a whatever, it doesn't mean your thing sucks because I like something else. Absolutely. One hundred You know, one your thing yes. the thing that you thought was still awesome yesterday is still awesome yeah, today. That's right. And it doesn't matter if I'm not partaking in the way you enjoy right. it. And and it's good. Yeah. You don't you you really don't need my validation. <laughs> you know, you don't. You know, you just don't. So, so talking of um crabby people. Um, yes. we'll, we'll end. With, <laughs> no, no, we'll end. No, 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 no we'll end, with we'll end on a happy note. Well, the, we'll end on a SpongeBob note. Right. If nothing brought the Cranky Pants vinyl audio files out in droves, oh, like Macintosh did last week or the week before, when they oh yeah, right, when they announced what is it the M- yeah the MTI one hundred turntable, which has and so in case we, our listeners don't know, it's a turntable with um, a built-in phono stage, built-in tube preamp, built-in Class D power um power amp in the back so it's basically an entire it's got a deck and a streamer yeah yeah it's entire hi-fi system inside a turntable and when i saw this i thought that is outstanding i thought this would that this is exactly what the world needs you know some cashed up young kids gonna come along go i get that because they don't suffer as you said earlier the tyranny of choice it's just there it's one place they plug it in off they go right well, I think, I, yeah, I think it's a great, I think it's, I can't wait to get one in for review. I think it's a cool product. It's cool Is product. it for everyone? Yeah. No, but there's a lot of people that just, that will be enough for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what, you know, I think what was infuriating for me was the, you know, the, the audio world says we need more people. This comes out and that ha- it has more mainstream focus than probably any other product I know in the vinyl world. And yet, yeah. audiophiles sit there and go, "Well, separates will sound better." Yes, well, they of will. They will. Yes, they will. But that is not the point. And, That's not the and, point. And, th- and it- these guys should know that. 
so this well, is well, but they it's it's kind of it's like at the end of it's like in Spinal Tap where they go, <laughs> well, we always say love your brother. Well, we don't really mean that, but you know, I mean, it's it's like that. <laughs> it's exactly and that, yeah, yeah. It's exactly that. Right. They everybody wants this to be. They can't understand why they want this to be this exclusive club that no one can be part of. Well, somebody's got to buy some product to keep the doors open. Right. And, yes. you know, and you have to understand, too, from a marketing standpoint, which, again, I think is brilliant on Macintosh's part. There's going to be a not only will this bring some new people mm. in, there will be a ton of people you got to remember a lot of people that have these really high end, you know, wall of Macintosh mm. and a pair of big Sonus Fobbers. Guess what? They own two or three or four residences. Yeah. And they're going, hey, I'd love to have that in a small pair of Sonus Faber Olympicas for my place in Tahoe or my place in Monaco yeah. or my place in London. What's wrong with that? Because honestly, if 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 these companies are going to stay healthy mm. and keep making products for everybody. This makes perfect sense, I, and, I totally and it's, it's yeah, it's a it's a promo piece for Macintosh Group. I mean, I think it's outstanding. I mean, would I buy one? I don't know, you know. Um, but again, here's another thing to think about with mm. this product. If you had one of these, yeah, it's the perfect thing to have in your living room, so that when your friends come over, they can all play with it. Because yeah, absolutely. Right? Yes, my friends would think exactly. That, my friends would think that that product was cool because they can give them a they can understand yeah. it just by looking. And they at can it, touch right? it. They can touch it. If you've got an SME twenty sitting over there on the counter, you're not going to let your friends touch that. You're like, no, get away from that. You know. <laughs> well, that's that's not bringing anybody into no, the joy of vinyl now, is it's it? Not no. But you, I think. Well, I, li I like products with that. You know, where you somebody you don't have to have a. You don't really have to have a, a tremendous understanding of audio gear to understand how this works. People see it as an, an appliance, right? You plug it in, you connect your speakers, you lower the needle. That is it. Most people can get their head around that. The reason people are you know, turning to audio gear in droves is because they see that, that rack and all those wires and different boxes. And what do all these boxes do? And why do you need that one? And why does that one have to be so big? And why does it have to take up our entire lounge room? Right. This right. thing is for, for just for normal people with money. And this is the other thing that I think a lot of people don't get is there are plenty of people out there with plenty of cash that would happily drop it on this kind of product, but don't because they don't see this product. They see the wall of separates and go, oh, no, I'm not going to get into that. It's the same people that buy WLA Phantom, right? Those people, yes. they've got money. They kind of go and listen to it in a railway station in one of those kind of like those cubicle huts that WLA have at shopping malls and yeah, around the world. They go, okay. that's cool. You can, you can, you can cut this one out if you want to, uh -huh. but here's the big bomb that all of these cranky pants audiophiles don't get. Yeah. Okay. The people that are supposedly in this luxury goods mm. area mm -hmm. of buying this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Every person I've ever met from that world, those kind of fairly wealthy people, yeah. they're really busy. They don't, they're not out on forums arguing about what <laughs> so cables true. to buy. So they don't have time. That's why they, you know, you know, they'll always, when somebody buys a really expensive piece of gear, they'll say, oh, that person's got more brains, you know, more money than brains. 
No, they have a lot of money because they're really smart and they're really busy and they don't have 20 hours of their week to argue on Steve Hoffman's forum about which pressing of the White Album they should get. They're like, yeah, that's cool. Okay, great. Love music. Yeah, get me one of those. Okay, done. And, And it's, again, it goes back to everybody has a different perspective yeah, on yeah. this if you're somebody who lives and dies for the gear that's your thing and that's cool that's okay if you're somebody who lives and dies for the music wherever you are in the middle of that spectrum wherever you are it's okay just just again you don't need my validation if you're into it good for you that's all you need i think that's the thing and i think this is a good good way to finish actually because this podcast about vinyl it's about understanding that not everything is about you and not everything is about your viewpoint. There are other people out there like you and I who don't adore vinyl at every single level, you know, unreservedly and are pragmatic about it. And that's hard for an idealist to swallow. I think, I mean, this is certainly my experience in seeing well, the again, comments, then but... those people really aren't our audience. No, they're not know? my audience. At all. Um, no, they're not my audience. No. You know, they're really not our. You're, neither one no. of us. And it's it, it's like, hey, you know, it's music. You know, go have fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's that's really that's the message. Um, and I mean, dude, I still I finally just got rid of my eight track deck. Why would you, know? you still have? That? I mean, I I, I I'm trying to remember. Gosh, we'll bring this up another time, uh-huh. but there's a there's a label that's doing reissues uh-huh. and Sub Pop is doing it. Sub Pop's reissuing on cassette. And, you know, I think for all those al- all those punk albums like Mud Honey and all of that stuff, that's how that music got circulated back in the day. So to put it on cassette, it's kind of fun to throw that that Mud Honey cassette deck into my car and go for it. I've got an older car that has a cassette deck in it. And you know, hey, it's fun. That, so just that's a really good point. Actually, I remember Steve Gutenberg saying a few years ago that um, I think he was talking about like television's Marquee Moon or something like that. And he was he was he was saying that vinyl is the original language of that album. The you know, so like to have that on a vinyl is that's how it came out initially. So I, right. I, I think that was a really nice way of putting it. Because I agree, you know, like nowadays, but, but yeah. again, if, if, if you're having fun and it's making you, you know, yeah. like, like Cheryl Crow said, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, you know? And you, there's, I just think so. I feel terrible because I think so many people overthink this mm. and it's like, Hey, you know, don't overthink it. Just enjoy it. Just what did James Brown say? Get into it. Get involved. Well, you know, um, yeah, that's all you got to do. So I'm into, you know? I'm really into vinyl. Like I've got, I've got a ton of it in Melbourne in storage. I've got to try and bring it here eventually. I love it. I love buying records. I guess my point is at the entry level, I, I'm, I'm just not in it for the sound. If I want great sound, I'll go, I'll literally will go and play a digital stream and play it through well, one of my, my many decks. And that's not to be snotty about it. It's just, that's where I get my sound quality. That's your reality. Right, that's exactly my reality. I'd love to hear a cartridge or a turntable combo that would sound better than say a Chord Dave fed by an Inuit server. I would love that. But you know, we're talking a serious digital front end there. So that's 20 grand of digital gear. So, you know, if it's a 20 grand table cart, phono stage combination that would smoke that which is you know a term that people like to use i'd love to hear about it but you know what more often than not it's not so much a better or worse it's, it's a different, different presentation yeah. this is a yeah you know? it's just different it's it's, yeah. it's different you know do you like your thai food spicy or do you like it not so spicy do you you know i mean it's 
what's what's your favorite color red or green yeah you know and 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 that's what i've seen having had the chance to listen to some you know pretty good digital and some pretty good analog side by side mm. every day um more often than not it's just it's more often it's different you know sometimes the digital file is a little more punchy a little more dynamic sometimes you know sometimes the analog thing has just a little bit more of that inner detail mm. but both are still really both are way more than very acceptable yeah so you know but you know as my as my dad always says nothing beats the sound of digital there you go. Oh, he, doesn't actually, he doesn't say that. No one says that. <laughs> no one says that, right? But, that. but people get a free pass to say nothing beats the sound of vinyl. No one gets called out on that. That's bullshit. Come on. It's not here's true. a great here's a great exercise for you to do to your friends. Okay. <laughs> I used to do this all the time and it was so funny. Mm. Um, I did this back when when I got the DCS Paganini about six or seven years ago. Yeah. I would switch the cables. And so when you push the CD button on the remote, yeah. You were actually listening to vinyl and vice versa. And so I'd start the vinyl and I'd start the CD and hit play on both of them. And I'd say, here, take the remote, switch back and forth, and you tell me which one you like better. And they'd go back and forth and they go, see, I told you the vinyl sounded better. And I said, okay, now go look behind the preamp. Oh, you tricked me. Oh, you know, <laughs> and so it's, you know, I, I, dude, I used to date this girl in college that hated Van Halen. Mm -hmm. She hated Van Halen, right? And she came over one day and I was making dinner and I was listening to Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now. She goes, that's a really nice song. She goes, who is that? I said, it's Van Halen. She goes, well, I hate Van Halen. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> a, I mean, that's, that's, that's what the, do you do yeah, with that? Yes, exactly. You so, can't argue with people like that. You just have to kind of ignore them. It's like arguing with people on Facebook about politics. Number of people whose uh, who's perspective you changed by arguing with them about politics probably zero absolutely right? zero every time yeah so yeah you can't you can't debate it but anyway that hasn't stopped us from foisting our our opinions onto the internet for for another for another month um thanks very much jeff for joining you me bet, again. sir um and I'll, take good care yeah, we'll, we'll talk again in a month's time You have been listening to the Darko Audio Podcast with me, John Darko, and Tone Audio's Jeff Dorgay.